Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Hi, listeners. Today, I'm really excited to share with you a conversation that we had with one of my best friends from high school and college, Jason Krebs. I really wish Kosha could be here today to help us introduce the conversation we have with him, but I'm really also excited to be able to share this with you. Jason and I have known each other for a long time, like I said, high school, and then through college, and we've been friends ever since. So we're looking at about almost 30 years of friendship, which is a weird thing to think about. Jason is now a stay-at-home dad of two kids. One's in middle school, one's about to be in high school. And he's got this amazing life with this amazing woman who's got this great career and he stepped up to support her. It's really amazing to hear the kinds of things that he has found to be challenging, but also the things that some of us as women might find challenging that he has never found challenging. For example, you know, there's this whole story for women about how you're supposed to love your kid just immediately and how that really hamstrings us into thinking about what it means to be a mom, right? But when we talk to Jason, we hear that's not the case for dads. Dads get to come into it almost clean. They have a blank slate and they get to go, whatever relationship I'm having with a kid, that's the right relationship. And wouldn't it be amazing for us as moms, as women, to be able to say, I don't have any preconceived notions. There's no sexist agenda, intentional or unintentional, about what it means to be a mom. I really hope you enjoy this conversation that Kosha and I had with Jason. I'm so excited to be able to present this to you all and share the insights that he's given us about what it's meant to be a stay-at-home dad, but the challenges and, you know, some, some of the challenges and the, and the brilliant, wonderful, loving moments that all parents face, but especially what it means to be a stay-at-home dad. Please enjoy our conversation with Jason Krebs. He is speaking.
Hi, I'm Jason Krebs and I am speaking. Hello, Jason Krebs. Very suave. Uh, listeners, welcome to our episode today. We get to talk to one of my bestest friends. Gosh, we've known each other for 30 years. Yeah, I would Holy say a little moly. over 30 years now. Did you guys went to high school together? We did. We went to high school together and college together. Yes, I did know that oh. part. Yeah, so we've known each other for 30 years and have been really, really, really good friends for 25 of those 30 years. Were you really, were you friends in high school at IMSA? Not really. We knew each other. Yeah, we knew each other. You kind of, I mean, you knew everybody, especially in your class, but, but no, we didn't really connect until college. Yeah. We had our one thing, you know, I was dating my ex-boyfriend, which is, he was kind of a little controlling. So I didn't really get to hang out with many other people. With just others. Yeah. Plus I was like doing soccer and that took up a lot of my time. So what was Jason, Jason, what were you doing in high school? What was I doing in high school? Gosh. Were uh, you cool in high school? Yes. Ah, uh, no. You hung out with cool kids. You hung out with That's some of the cool more kids. accurate. I hung out with cool kids, <laughs> but I myself was not cool. So by, you know, by, by translation, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the guys I hung out with definitely elevated my status in high school. But like IMSA status, right? Like, right. Yeah. I mean, if you all picked yourselves up and went to like Naperville North or Carl Sandburg, would you have been cool? Would they have been cool? No, no, <laughs> none of us were cool. No. And you would think like th there wouldn't have been many clicks in a school that basically, you know, brought all the dorks from around the state. But in fact, it's just like any other school. Was it really? They <laughs> micro click. Re Restratifies. Yeah. So you took like the debate speech, mathlete clicks and you put them in IMSA and then they micro clicked. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. You wouldn't think that there could be, I mean, when, when you're at your own school and you're kind of the nerd and then you go somewhere and you're like, oh my God, there are like, like even weirder, dorkier people than me. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm kind of athletic and I'm kind of <laughs> like cool. And like all this stuff. And I know stuff how to talk stuff. to people and yeah. I can make jokes and like, yeah. It's funny because like teens gonna teen, right? Like they're mm. just gonna do what teens do, whether they're in a big, huge stratosphere or a tiny microcosm. That's really interesting. Yes. We had people in our class that were so advanced. They were doing like BC Calc three when they came in and then they needed to come up with a whole nother class. Like they were doing like theoretical algebra or theoretical arithmetic as seniors because they just ran out of classes for people to take. Yeah on another planet. There are people that were on another planet when it came to some of the, that stuff. Yeah. Well, Shayla, she has said, I, I, I think this is really funny, but she said like, I went from being the smartest kid in my freshman year of high school to the dumbest kid at IMSA. No, I mean, I wouldn't say the dumbest, but I would say I took AB Calc. I took AB Calc one as a second semester senior because I had to take a math class and I pushed it <laughs> off as long as possible. Cause I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't, I took every math class I possibly could and waited to take that one last. Cause I'm like, I know I don't want to do this. And once I take AB Calc one, I have to take the second one. I have to keep going. I don't want to. Yeah. I loved Calc. I took it as a junior and I loved it. We've talked on this podcast and just Shayla, she and I, that I'm like, I probably would have enjoyed IMSA for the actual math and science. Like, I wish I could have gone for the, all the math 
I wouldn't have been, I'm not like a theoretical arithmetic person, but to go back, I probably would have like majored in math or something in college because I do love it. But we are not here to talk about our our um, math opportunities or missed opportunities, so. That's true, thank goodness for that. <laughs> we are in fact here to talk about your experience being a stay-at-home dad mm -hmm. and sort of doing the work of what Kosha and I have called being the default parent in a world that doesn't su support men being the default parent. Tell us how you got here. In general? Well, starting with the fact that you graduated from high school and then you went to college. That has been established, right. Right. And then you went after college, you went to graduate school, but that's where it starts to change. Yes. Where, where your story doesn't go on the traditional path that you thought it was going to go on. Yes. No, that's good. Yeah, that's a good starting point. Um, I left grad school probably sooner than I should have uh, because, well, I left grad school a little sooner than I should have. I should have stayed probably another year. Thank goodness I didn't because, you know, you know, all the choices we make all have a dramatic effect on everything that happens afterward. But I left a little too soon. I, I went to grad school for clinical psychology. I left, came to Minnesota to intern for a year. I still hadn't finished my dissertation. So I went and taught at a university in southeastern Minnesota for a while. And that was when I met my future wife. So I, I met her and that's when things really change, right? When you, when you meet that someone who's going to kind of permanently alter your life, <laughs> the rest of your life. So I'm teaching, trying to work on finishing up my dissertation and also maintain what at the time was a long distance relationship with, with Julie. And I ended up moving to the Twin Cities area. Our relationship progressed. We got married. Our first little one came along and we had kind of a decision to make at that point. And it wasn't much of a decision really. It was actually kind of obvious what should be done, which was I'll stop working, keep working on my degree ostensibly um, and stay home with our first baby. And it made sense because I'm still being productive. I'm still working toward the goal of getting my degree, but Julie's continuing along her career path. Her, her career path is going to be far more lucrative, shall we say, than mine was ever going to be. When you say like, well, it seemed pretty obvious. Was that because it was financially obvious? In almost every way you could conceive of, it was obvious. Financially, practically, yeah, it just it just made made sense. Now, at the time, I would never suggest that I would have thought I would still be doing it 14 years later, necessarily. But I underestimated how long it was going to take me to finish my degree and the number of allies I had at the <laughs> university to help me make that happen. That's a whole other story, which isn't particularly relevant. Suffice to say that being a stay at home parent made it difficult, I think. To get that stuff finished. So I never did actually finish my uh, degree, but it's made sense for 14 plus years for me to be at home for a variety of reasons. You keep thinking, oh, I'll get back to doing, you know, something, teaching or counseling or, or whatever, but there's always seemingly a hundred other reasons to actually stay <laughs> at home. And it's just worked best for us as a family from the, from the very beginning. So when you met Julie, where along her 
career trajectory was she? I know she's like very high up now. Could you, did you both know that that's like, that's where she was going? More or less. I mean, she had done, she had, she had had other jobs, but then gone back to graduate school. And then this was her first position at the company that she's at now. But yeah, I mean, we knew that if for her to have any chance, frankly, it was going to be very useful for me to be at home and be able to manage things here so that she, because, and this has become abundantly clear in recent years, it's hard for anyone to move up the ladder. And it's interesting, I can't say from firsthand experience, but by holding the hand of that person, it is exquisitely difficult for women to move up in the world, depending on, you know, all kinds of reasons, but it's, I've seen many examples where giving her every opportunity to work late, to easily go on a business trip, to go to a thing after work and, and hang out with people that are, would be important to hang out with and just all that kind of stuff without even having to be like, Hey, can you be home? Hey, can, or do you have this covered? It's just, I got it. Do what you need to do. It's been, yeah, it's, it's helped a lot. Well, and I also think in things like interviews, you know, I, I work in the corporate world. I haven't gone for huge upper level positions, but I've talked to women who are up there and it, having to answer questions that men never would have to answer, like doorknob questions where the interview is technically over. You're not allowed to ask about kids and, <laughs> right. and you know, things like that. But, um, the, you know, saying something like, um, yeah, so, you know, I saw that you're married. Like, are you guys going to have kids? As she's walking out the door, it's not that men can't also, you know, have an easier time answering that question. They're not asked that question. Right. That doesn't even come into play in an interview process. Nope. Strangely, our lives have really paralleled each other. I've sort of been in and out of the workplace um, and have found it really difficult. Not that I was like, not, not that the nonprofit world is that you know, cutthroat or whatever, but there's stuff that you have to do after hours and work late and this and that. And the balancing of that is really, really difficult, especially if your partner is the one that's like bringing in most of the money to all of the money and their job becomes more and more demanding the further they go up. It's like, I can't ask you to, you're just gone. So right. my, you know, my job has to be flexible around this, but what if there's no flexibility? Then then who's going to end up being the one that's like trying to figure out how all this works. Um, so I can absolutely see why you made that decision and appreciate that you did. And lucky enough to have the, that choice, even, even that is just, you know, amazing because it's, you know, it's not easy for, I would argue most families to be able to, to get by on us on a single income anymore. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's, it's nigh impossible depending on what, what the, that single person's doing. So. That's a great point because for some people, for some families, it doesn't matter if somebody wants to stay home, they don't have the choice. When your first kid came along and you're like, okay, I'm going to stay home. What was that like for you? Was it easier than you thought, harder than you thought, easier in ways than you didn't expect and vice versa? Yeah. I think something that worked to my advantage is I think I'm, as much as anyone is, I'm, I'm kind of wired to be the support person in the family, just to kind of be the engine that kind of keeps everything running. And, you know, occasionally, you know, turn off the engine, let me, let me rest a little bit, but otherwise I'm just kind of keeping things moving forward. So it just felt, I mean, I'm not going to say it wasn't hard, 
anyone who's a parent can attest to just how wild it is to suddenly be thrust into that that job. <laughs> you just can never you can never prepare yourself for it. So the early years, it was just more of a job because you're at home so much and you're just focused completely on what's the needs of this this you know new creature that's in your house. So there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity until later years it starts, you start to be out more and you run into people who there were two primary reactions. I think when you tell people you're a stay at home dad, both equally annoying, frankly, in my opinion, one is the folks who are like, Oh my gosh, that's just wonderful. And they're just, they're like amazed and blown away at what, how you've been able to do. And, and it's, I can appreciate it to the extent that, you know, being at home and parenting that in that way is, is not easy, but, but that's not what the way saying. they say it. No, yeah. they're saying yeah. it like, like you have some kind of a, like, I don't know, like you're a, a, a kid who might have like a developmental disability who has somehow accomplished this amazing thing or that like got some challenge that keeps me from. It's a head pat moment. That feels equally insulting to men and women. Like that is, that is an equal opportunity insult to everybody involved. <laughs> it They're is. Like you yeah. are insulting all men at state homes who are like, oh, good job, sweetie. You deserve a lollipop. And also being like, that deserves a good job. And all the women out there who are stay-at-home moms, that's like a nothing, right? Like you get, you get a barely a glance. So this yes, is just insulting exactly. across the board. A hundred percent. So what's the other reaction? Uh, the other reaction, which also annoying, but doesn't bother me personally as much, are the people who you can tell are immediately suspicious or distrustful. Like, okay, what's wrong with this person? Like, what's wrong with him that he couldn't do something else? Couldn't, oh. isn't out in the workforce or isn't, like what's so there's something the insinuation not necessarily through anything they're saying but clearly through their body language is oh okay what's like are you some kind of degenerate like what's going on right why are you at home taking are you care a of the felon and you just can't get a job yes yeah. exactly interesting now those people tend to leave me alone which makes me happy so i you know that, that one doesn't bother me as much because that's not someone i care about. I mean, that, that gives you a pretty distinct impression of the kind of person that you're dealing with at yeah, that point. So like, ah, okay, that's, I don't need to worry about it. The only kind that becomes a problem is if it's a parent of a kid that your, your kid wants to be like friends with or something like that. And it's like, okay, we're going to have to figure this out somehow. Yeah, that is, that is a challenge. I think not to say that it isn't annoying, but I do remember at the beginning of the pandemic, a billion and a half years ago, uh, the New York Times published an an article about a woman who was a CEO of a software company. Her husband was between jobs had, and this like, they had negotiated that. He was gonna take some time off and figure out what he wanted to do. They had a three-year-old and after four days he goes, I can't do this anymore. And she had to shut down her company to take care of her kid because her husband oh wouldn't do the work. So although I can see why it's super annoying for someone to go, oh my God, that's amazing. I think. The counterpoint is people like that, who are like, I am not working. My, my wife is a CEO and I cannot handle a three-year-old. Oh my God, this is too much for me. 
I was like ready to reach through the screen and punch that person in the face because I was like, well, then how are you going to get some money? Right. Well, and also punch the wife in the face. <laughs> well, what is she? I just go, what is she supposed to do? She's got a three-year-old and her husband's not doing any work. Get rid of the husband, not the company. <laughs> I, I, like, yeah. I Yes, I agree. And you get a sitter and that solves your problem. But still, like, what is the dynamic between two people where one person is earning money and can support everyone and the other person's like, well, I don't want to do this job because it's, he said it was boring. I was like, yeah, of course it's boring. Three-year-olds are pretty boring. Also, I'm just going to put it out there that I like my job very much and I work a lot and sometimes it's boring. Every job's boring sometimes. Welcome to being an adult, right? When I was, when I did my one year after Isha was born, I really, I was super depressed. Did you find that like isolating and like, did you struggle with any sort of mental health stuff? Not so much with the the being at home and being, being isolated. Cause I mean, for better or worse, that's kind of my, I'm comfortable, not for long stretches, but I'm kind of comfortable in that. I'm pretty introverted. Like, I can go for a long time without a lot of significant interaction. The, the thing that I think was more depressing was that impending sense of this may derail what I thought I was going to do with my life. This may in fact completely change how I thought things were going to go. And when it's an unknown early on, you think that it's only going to go poorly. Like, Oh, this is going to mess everything up, not change everything, mess everything up. And over time you're like, Oh, this isn't messing everything up. This is just different. It's just different than what I expected, but it's kind of rad, actually. Like this, this is a pretty, I got a pretty cool thing going on here. Yeah. So I went through some lulls when I thought things were going to be bad. Would you call it almost like grief? Oh, a hundred percent. Grieving what you thought your life was mm-hmm. going to be. Like pre-grieving. <laughs> like, oh, okay. There's the loss is coming. I see it. I'm not going to like it. Yeah. 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 Over the last couple of years, I've said multiple times, like people make plans and God laughs, yes. right? It's just this illusion of control. Uh, I've had the last two years have been wrestling with that with me so much. Cause I'm like, well, I didn't expect to have cancer and then go into menopause at 44. That wasn't part of my plan as if somehow my body and the universe and whatever else is going on. is like, Oh, that's not on the list. Let's skip it then. Also, I would like to point out that saying that's not on my plan indicates that it is on someone's plan, which I doubt <laughs> that that's on right. anyone's plan. I think you have my list confused with someone yeah. else's list. Can we swap back, please? <laughs> then, I, don't, I don't like this one. Did you, between your first and your second, was there any sort of like, oh, maybe this is an opportunity to shift it a little bit? We talked about it a bunch of times. We talked about the idea of, you know, maybe looking to get back into teaching really is probably what I would have done. It's just of all the things that my degree enabled me to do, teaching was the thing I loved the best, which as it turns out is actually quite useful when you have kids. Especially in criminal psychology. <laughs> well, it comes in handy sometimes. But the whole thing, I mean, and that's kind of been one of the redeeming things for me personally doing it is that it it really is just an endless sequence of teaching moments, which is incredible. And, and I mean, they get tired of it, I'm sure sometimes, because, you know, it is kind of, I do 
fall into like classroom mode sometimes. And we start, you know, we could start using the Socratic method. Like, well, what do you, like, what do you think? And they're like, oh, you see this, like, oh my God, can you just tell me what I need to know here? Like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna walk through this together. I will see the light. Just take me to yes. it. So yeah, we talked about it a number of times, but it just, it never made sense. It never made sense. I mean, I hate to keep bringing it back to, to the money thing, but even if you just stop for a second and like, okay, so if we have to send two kids to daycare, I go back to work, I better really love it because we'll be lucky to break even with what I'm going to be doing to send the kids to daycare. And then like, do we really want to do that? Like, uh, no, nah, I don't think so. I, I, I started to enjoy the role more and more and more as time went on. Uh, and especially now, because they're at an age where they can really talk, like they're really interesting <laughs> when they're little, they're fun, but they're not necessarily interesting. Now they're fun and interesting. You must get so much gossip too. Oh, especially now. Because you're, so you have a boy who's 14 and then you have a little girl who's 12? 11. 11? Yes. 11. Not so little. Right. Both middle schoolers. Littler than the boy, I guess. Yeah. I got your Christmas picture and I was like, who are these children? Yeah. The boy is bigger than either of us now. He's taller, an inch or two taller than, but yeah, yeah. He's, he's got, he's got the, the gene from his mother's side. Okay. So hopefully it doesn't go too out of control because it's already a little daunting. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought because I was thinking about how old your kids are. And I was like, oh, and then my kids are that old too. And what the hell is happening? Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I, and I've said this so many times, I am not a baby person. Like I like other people's babies. They're cute. Our sister just had the baby spirit, just had a baby and it's going to be one. And it's so awesome. That baby is so awesome, but that baby is not my baby. Right. But like the older my kids have gotten, I'm like, oh, you're fascinating. This is hilarious. The other day we were driving somewhere and this is a complete aside, but we were driving somewhere and Lex was watching something and I was like, what's he watching? She's like, oh, he's just like, oh, watching this thing, this. And I was like, who does that? And Isha goes, well, the, the guy who does this channel, he goes by Matt Pat. And I was like, Matt Pat, that was his real name. Isha goes, Matthew Pathew, straight face. I was like, is that his real name? She goes, no, it's not his real name. That's not his name. <laughs> I don't know. People name their kids the weird things. Maybe his last name is Matthew. And then his parents were like, oh, Matthew, Matthew. That's hilarious. Sure. Oh, that's totally possible. But just like the delivery was like Matthew, Matthew. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, even my daughter is seven, almost seven and a half. And she's like coming up with jokes on her own. And she sometimes they even like make really good sense and stuff like mm -hmm. you know before it was like knock knock who's there ha 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 or whatever now it's like actually funny and thoughtful and there's there's a lot of gossip at school or like and then um Hugh told Miss Donnelly that she was being really mean and then you know it's like stuff like that and I'm just like and then what like I'm, <laughs> I'm totally into the lives of these second graders so I guess the question I had was when you had two and now you have to, you're going out with your kids, right? Like you're going to the park and stuff. What was the biggest challenge, I guess? Like, what did you find? Cause 
I guess what I'm getting at it, and I mentioned this before, is there are a lot of resources, Facebook groups, and you know, like I said, mommy and me yoga or mommy and me swimming. Um, there's not a lot of like daddy and me yoga. And would you go to those mommy and me programs and then you kind of stick out and then you have to explain that you're the dad? Like, what was that like? Just trying to find resources, I guess, things to do. I don't have a great answer for that. Uh, I never, <laughs> I just never, I think there were times when early on, like when they were little, little, where I would go to like, a, I feel like there were like a couple of events, like a, like a coffee and hangout event kind of thing. Probably happened two or three times I went. I can't honestly say that I was actually experiencing being ostracized, but my feeling was these people don't want me here or they're uncomfortable with me being here. And the last place I want to be is somewhere where a whole group of people just aren't interested in, in having me around. Now, whether it was more of the like, what's wrong with this guy thing, or if it was just because it was just strange, this is unusual to, to have a, a dad, you know, a stay-at-home dad show up. So I kind of just quit going to those things. You know, mostly the interactions I had was when like there would be play dates for the kids when they're still young enough that you can't just leave them there. Like, you know, the, the parents would kind of hang out and sometimes there'd be multiple. And that always worked out fine because like it or not, you've got to kind of, you know, reach out and connect with these other parents. And then they're like, oh, you're just like a guy, like you're just doing the work. And it's the same for stay-at-home moms as it is for stay-at-home dads for the most part. So yeah, that was never too bad of an experience. I'm just thinking about how, you know, when my second came along, the logistics got really hard. It was like the emotional stuff of being like, oh, what's happening? Why is my kid crying? Blah, blah, blah. That was, I was like, oh, you're fine. Oh, yeah. But the logistics get really hard. So what was that like for you? Like but when the girl came along, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's a logistics stuff, but then like now you're trying to manage one kid and another kid and have your you know, one activity going on here and another, especially as they got a little older and there were play dates and there was, you know, there was stuff and you're like trying to manage both of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when the, it becomes more of a, a job in the sense of like, you are, you're, you're literally managing everyone's calendars in a sense, you know, there's, there are all kinds of things happening. And, and I would say for me, that can be kind of one of my weakest points because I'm not a big fan of managing other people's schedules. Even to this day, my least favorite part of the entire day is waking the kids up and getting them moving in the morning. Cause I don't, and it's not, you know, they're fine. They're not particularly difficult or anything, but it's like, I don't like dictating whether or not someone does something necessarily, which sounds like, well, how the hell are you doing this parent thing then? But, but just, <laughs> that is what being a parent is. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's, even when it comes to homework and things like that, I'm sort of like, uh, what do you got? You know, what do you got to do tonight? Okay, go do it. If you need some help, let me know. But I'm not standing over them saying, okay, you got to do this and then do this and then do this. And how much time do you have? Oh, that's going to be enough time. You know, that kind of thing, which does get us in trouble some nights. But, <laughs> but yeah, the logistics thing was definitely a big, I mean, it becomes a, a big weight at times, um, especially when you've got like a, you know, an infant 
who's on their own kind of schedule with the basics, you know, with sleeping and feeding and all that stuff. And it does creep into your head. I do remember you kind of, there's a, there are times when, and you can push it away quickly because you realize how dumb you sound, but it's like, this is where, this is where they say like the stay at home dad is like, ah, well, you were saying that someone like they were saying was boring or whatever. Like I have these creeping thoughts like, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this because I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a man like I'm I'm a dad. Like that that's why this is so hard is because it's I'm not. I, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Jerk off. This is this is just it's hard today. Let's just go get back to it tomorrow. It's very self-aware of you to recognize those creeping thoughts and then recognize why they're just messed up right like not just to see it coming but then be like no it's not about that it's about it's just today is hard or whatever that's pretty that's pretty self-aware i mean well cool thanks but that's just the psychologist in me like you know you you can't really go through a graduate school experience in clinical psychology and not i mean you do that's part of one of the things that you do is is learning how to kind of self therapize at least a little bit and be, you know, be more aware of your own inner thoughts. Cause I, I mean, how can you legitimately help someone else do that for themselves if you don't recognize it yourself? So it's, it becomes kind of a natural part of, of your everyday life. And so, yeah, it was very helpful. Cause I could see how I could see how like stay at home dads might kind of brush off certain responsibilities or certain things that they might equate with being a mom like, this is a mom thing, so I'm not going to do it. Even though you're the you're the default parent, you're the one that's managing everyone's calendars, and this is what made me think of it. Does Julie still get the school emails? Did teachers still reach out to her? Uh, that generally is that's a very not. mom thing, right? Oh, yes, generally okay, not. Awesome. Occasionally, she does if it's maybe like a new teacher or something like occasionally, and she immediately responds and is like, hey, "You should switch this to my husband's email because he's the one that kind of kind of handles all this stuff." What is interesting, and I we've yet to figure out, or if there is even anything to figure out with the kids when they have something that they want to kind of talk about and really kind of sort through like, you know, something that happened at school or something that was tough or just kind of sort through whatever they go to her almost without fail. Um, not for lack of me being around or offering, or I think being a pretty good soundboard about these things, but there's something about it being mom that's different. I don't know what that is, but there's, it's a, it's a thing, whatever, whatever it is. Now, then she comes back to me and we powwow and we use both our brains and then maybe we send her back to be the, the point person on this stuff, but it's, it's fascinating to, to me and it continues. It's been, it's always been like that in the house. That is really fascinating because one would put that, I mean, I would put it together like, well, dad's here all the time. Dad's seeing me when, before I go to school and after I go to school and help you know get me out of bed and dropping me off wherever and so it is fascinating that still those like heart-to-heart conversations or like processing conversations still end up with mom yeah it's like their time to really connect with her because they sort of connect with me in all these kind of micro ways all day but that's their time with her kind of at the end of the day. And, and you see that with both of them, not, not yeah. the boy or the girl differently. 
Yes. Yeah, they, they, they do. And it used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. It's actually a good thing, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, where you're like, I'm doing everything for you. <laughs> and then they, and she gets all like the emotional fuzzies. Yeah, I say it used, it used to bother me. It doesn't anymore because I, I think it is just their time to connect with her. The only thing that bothers me is that I'm, I'm like a toolbox. I'm full of things and to help them with problems. Like, and so I'm like, man, they're, boy, they're really missing out on some, <laughs> on some. Like, do you children not know that I did graduate work in clinical psychology? Like I'm all about solving people's problems. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I am so good at this and you're not getting any of it. So they're really missing out. <laughs> yeah. just, and we can cut this if you want to, but you remember this so much more clearly that time that Isha was like, Remember that time that dad did that? And I was like, no, that was me. She, well, she's a default parent. So it was like going to her school orientation. And she, well, she had, she was talking about, she got her flu shot. And she's like, I get my flu shot the first possible day I can. Because one time I waited a week to get my flu shot and I got the flu and I was miserable. And I had, and then Isha had her school orientation. So I had to go to that. And then Isha goes, oh, yeah, I remember you were really sick. Dad went to the school orientation. And Sheila, she was like, he did not. He, your dad never does any of that. He didn't do that. I went. I was sick as hell. And I went to the school orientation. And then Isha goes, yeah, I don't remember that. She concocted a memory that didn't happen. And then when reminded about the actual thing that happened, she had no memory of it. Wow. Basically going, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck mm, you and no. your memory. I like, the, I like my version better. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I have a version of this. They tease me all day long. Everybody teases me. And I, I fine, whatever. I'm hilarious. I'm hilarious. No, I'm a weirdo. There's lots of things to tease me about, whatever. But if I tease Brian, for a second, if I tease Brian or I, I say something, Bats will go over to him hug him. No, don't make fun of Dada. You know, like Dada, she doesn't mean it. This and that. And I'm like, first of all, he can handle it. Secondly, no one is coming to my aid when you all are teasing me about stuff. So it's kind of that I I get what you mean where I'm like, I do everything for you. And you're like, oh, Dada, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And as the default parent, kind of that whole thing, part of what I I have to remind myself of is, you know, as much as she tries, Julie doesn't necessarily make it to every function, every meeting, every, and, but I do like, I've been lucky enough to be able to be part of all of it. Like I've, I've, I've missed anything of theirs. And so, you know, big whoop if, if they default to her for this stuff, it's like, I've been a pretty intimate part of their lives for a long time. So that's that. So how is this all changing as the kids get older, since we're on that sort of like, that's where the track is. Obviously they're, you know, they're not needing to be reminded, don't put you, don't put that into that thing or don't swallow that thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, a lot of it, like up until the time they're like six or seven years old, it's like, oh my God, don't kill yourself. Oh my God, don't kill yourself. Keeping them oh alive. Yes, yes. And then like teaching them how to behave like, like people, not like monkeys, right? And you're just like, all right. That stage is over. Well, kind of. Just keep going back to the psychology thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That that might have also really helped you. 
<laughs> they were young because you have done work with monkeys probably. Oh yeah, monkeys, rats. And now you're being a, yeah, you're being a capuchin right now. Being a capuchin. <laughs> so they're, now they're 14 and 11. So what's like the next set of challenges for you? Like this is part of it, which is like they want to de decompress with Julie. Mm -hmm. But there's obviously other stuff, right? And I can imagine it's different now with the boy versus the girl. Like what the challenges go in slightly different directions. Yeah. Um, well, right now, again, they're both middle schoolers. So the, the primary like challenges are managing school academic work, but also like managing the social stuff that, that's going on with them. And it seems endless. I mean, every day there's some, something to, to, to manage. So now what I find myself doing a lot, even though I, I try not to be too directive is, is you're teaching them the kinds of things that they need to be like young adults, or you're doing a lot of teaching about like time management and self-care and, and insight, like just being insightful into how they're thinking about the world and how they're thinking about the people that they hang out with and their teachers and how to be an effective communicator. The boy is very, like, he's very introverted and he has a very difficult time asking for basic stuff from teachers, like help from teachers or, you know, this, this and that. So it's a lot of really trying to, to help them figure out at the very least coping mechanisms to handle that stuff. Because one of the things that at least I've finally come around to as much as we try to kind of teach them how to navigate the world and what, what it means to be a good person and all this sort of stuff, they are who they are to a certain degree. And they are going to make decisions that I wouldn't make or that we wouldn't make. And that's just, that's just reality. So it's kind of letting go of this idea that you're making a clone of yourself, but you're just equipping them with the tools they need to be who they are and move through the world and be successful. So that's, that's kind of the, I think the period that we're in now is more just giving them the set of, of uh, tools that they need and, and they'll try to use them, mess up, learn how to do it better next time, all that sort, sort of thing. It's that it's this, it's like prime time for failure right now is what it feels like. And it's not fun sometimes, but boy, this age, it's just a lot of like, oh man, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go or helping them manage the emotions of that. And, and then how to do better in the future is, is probably the biggest challenge right now. Is there a lot of friendship drama that comes out of the girl? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, wow. It's in full effect. And especially with the way all the pandemic stuff kind of went, you know, she was home for most of last year. She was just home. Like it, was, it was all this distance learning stuff as we all, all know. And so starting middle school, having not had that year and suddenly being thrust into a very different kind of environment has been a, a pretty big adjustment. Like who are my friends now? And mm -hmm why isn't this person talking to me anymore? And, uh, you know, so yeah, there's been a, a ton of that. And so if I have this straight, right. So she, school shut down in March of 2020 and she would have been in fourth grade. Right. Is that right? And then all of fifth grade was at home basically. More or and less, then yeah. go basically going from fourth grade to sixth grade socializing, yes. which is a huge jump. 
Yes, it is. That's, I mean, especially if you didn't do anything for the year in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 42 almost, and that makes me uncomfortable to think about. Yeah, doesn't that make, it kind of gives you a little, just like a... Oof, Feels a boy. little icky on the inside, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very icky. Particularly because it's middle school. Particularly because it's middle school. And right. Yeah, that's I think, what I mean, right. Yeah, she's, and she's, hand, I mean, she's handling it as, as well as I think any sixth grader would, but um, that's definitely one of the areas that I am less suited to helping with, and I think Julie seems to be more suited with with helping with. I'm a good listener, but I, I don't like I, my experience during that time period. And even through high school was if someone's kind of treating me this way or my friends this way, or is being a pain or, you know, that person just was kind of out of my head. Like I had no problem just kind of ignoring that kind of, that kind of stuff, but not everyone's wired that way. Like, nor should they be, <laughs> but yeah, it bothers her a lot more. Like if someone's being mean to me or I feel slighted or something, it is a long time before I'm able to get over that. And again, over 40. So I can't imagine how it is for an 11 year old, you know, being like, but this person said this thing, what does it mean? And yeah, that there's, there's a lot to navigate there. I mean, there's a lot to navigate even pre-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Are you finding that some of the same issues still follow you around from, from, like when they were little to now when they're in middle school and it's still like the same sort of like, what's happening here? Why are you like, oh, pat on the head. This is so amazing. Or that's weird. As far as how people react to me? Yeah, yeah. Um, Not so much only because I tend to run into the same kind of people over and over again. So by this point, you know, I've been doing this with them since they started school. So everyone's pretty much aware that you know, that there's a stay at home dad, like I'm the stay at home dad in the family and this I'm, I'm around and it's not, it's not a surprise really to anyone so much, uh, anymore. So there was a point when you all moved to the South, was it different when you moved to the South as opposed to up in Minnesota? Uh, yeah, well, we were only there. Gosh, how long were we there? I think we were there for like 16 months. I was going to say like close to two years. I remember. And they were pretty young. Um, Carter was, was in, daycare but it was a it was a it was a Montessori school it was just him and one other kid for an entire year and the other kid was the teacher's granddaughter so it was like having a personalized Montessori teacher for a year it was was unbelievable it was weird but it was so yeah that was probably one of the more isolating times is when we were down south well then you were also on the east coast did you have Kids at the time when you were on the East Coast? Yeah. And how was that different versus like the Midwest? Uh, what was when that were you like? on the East Coast? Why am I not remembering this? So we went from Minnesota to out East. Do you see a difference regionally about how attitudes about being a stay-at-home dad towards you? Because you've, you've had to do it in several different regions of the U.S.? I would say no, not really. The only difference is in how obvious it was. So here in, in Minnesota, people are very passive aggressive and everything gets kind of blunted. So you pick up on it, but just barely. Whereas in the South, it was very clear. You know, They were pretty, pretty straightforward with you. Like, uh, 
staying home dad, huh? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't say it, but you could like the facial expression. Like, oh, it was really wow. obvious. Yeah. East Coast people didn't really seem to care. That was the place where it seemed like everyone was just kind of like, whatever. Uh, yeah, sure. It, it didn't, it didn't make as big a difference to them, but yeah, it was just variations on a theme, regardless of where we were, I would say. That's actually not what I thought. I would have thought that, you know, the whole South thing is like, oh, bless your heart. Like everything's all very like smoothed over and you say things super nice when you mean like go f yourself and <laughs> i thought the east coast would be more like blunt more more obvious although i can see how on the east coast people are like i don't have time to care about this right yeah that's kind of more what it was like yeah. whatever do whatever you want to i don't care about this <laughs> uh but i can also see now that you talk you know you say that right because my in-laws are from that basically just an hour an hour and a half from where you are really it's all like you don't actually say anything you just kind of like, oh, okay. Like that, it's like stuff like that. Oh, I guess, you know, it's like, it's, there's a lot of judgment. You vibe it. Yeah. All right. Where to go from here? That's a very interesting question. You're on the precipice of things being really different, right? Let's say 10 years. So where are you thinking? I mean, obviously you've got high, high school to get through, which is both more and less. It's like, the physical work goes down, but the like psychological load goes like way up. Right. And you're just like, oh my God, can you keep it like, but to yourself and to your kid, like, can you just keep it together? There's going to be a point when you won't need to be at home, even if it's after your kids are both gone, but you might not want to be at home. Say when your younger one goes to high school, like where are you, where have you thought about going with all this? If all real house husbands of Minnesota, yo. Yeah. Yeah. What am I going to do? I guess go for walks in the lake and, and I don't know, have coffee. Do you say at the lake or in the lake? Cause those are two different. <laughs> Hopefully at it's in. Yeah. I, yeah, we, we have, believe it or not, we have talked about this uh, too, a little bit. And I, I feel like the most likely outcome once the kids are kind of on more or less autopilot is again being you know ha- having this luxury of of not having to work at least money wise i feel like i want to i'll probably get involved in some kind of charity work something that's kind of i can be passionate about but i can just sort of give whatever i can give to, to an organization and there, there, there's a variety of possibilities but what almost certainly is not going to happen is me getting back into doing teaching or psychology again, not necessarily because I wouldn't be interested in doing it, but because a huge uphill fight, because when people look at your resume and they go, so what have you been doing for the last 15 years or 20 years or, you know, however long it'll be by then and be like, well, I was at home with my kids and they're like, okay. You know, I mean, that's, and it's- I feel like that's something, you know, and I'm not saying women have it so easy, but women can say that in an interview. I actually have a, a, a really good friend who is going back into the workforce and w- after being at five or seven years or something. And she was just like, well, I, I would stay at home with my kids. And that is what you could say in an interview and that it's like dropped. But, you know, this is almost that, that same idea where people are like, almost looking at you. This is the interview question where you're like, oh, I know it's coming and I know it's going to get weird looks. And if they have a guy or girl, whatever, if they have a person, that's going to be something you have to be that much better than your competition to traverse that kind of barrier. 
Yes, for sure. So we'll see. I know it's not far off, but it feels far off. So I haven't, we haven't really talked too much about it, but, but that's probably what, what will happen. It's get involved in the community somehow, as long as it's not political. Cause that's not, um, that's not an area I have any, any interest in, but. Not your jam. I, I'm going to keep that eye open for that Prince museum job. When Shayla, she did her Ted talk, there was a whole talk about, you know, father investment and, you know, we need fathers to be more invested, whether they're working or stay at homes, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was this, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. There was a viral TikTok. Oh, it sounded, it felt so dirty to say that. There was a viral social media thing that was um, about the daddy privilege and this whole, like, moms can be juggling you know, three kids trying to try to grocery shop. And one kid is kind of just, just throwing a little tantrum and everyone just kind of like sneers at her. But if a dad is doing the same thing, it's like, Oh my God, you're mm. such an amazing dad. Oh, like is the whole idea of like dad babysitting that's in quotes, dad babysitting their kids. Um, I would love from your perspective, what do you think of that whole idea of like that dichotomy between how men are looked at when they're taking care of, they're just taking care of their kids and they're, they're investing as, because it's, it's this opposite. Like we want this national conversation of wanting fathers to be more invested in the childcare and the child rearing, right. Not just the care. And then acting like it's like, he's a superhero for taking his kid to target. Can you talk about that dichotomy as a stay at home dad? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, that, that does kind of, I mean, it kind of ties right back in with that whole idea of the pad on the head thing, as we've kind of been, been saying, it's, it's like, you're, like you're doing something that's outside of what the normal, I guess, capabilities would be because you're a man. And, if, and, on, and on the other side, if, if you're a mom, if you're a woman, if you're not doing those things well, you are somehow deficient in some way that you're not handling this because it should be so easy for you to do what I what I don't know is is there yeah this is where it gets gets very dicey clearly there are some differences in I even hesitate to use the word genders but I'm just going to say it differences in genders that they're just there's but I think there are far fewer of them than, than maybe we, we think there are. So for, for me, I, I just, I, I'm not sure what the best way to answer that question is other, other than to say, certainly culturally, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And the only, the only thing that does is make it, make it all harder. Like if, if that's what we want is for, uh, dads to be more engaged in whatever that means, whether it's in being more intimate, a more intimate part of the family or being more engaged with their kids or, or what have you, that those kinds of attitudes just make it harder because it gives a pass to dads that either gives a pass to dads who just aren't trying very hard or aren't working very hard. And it makes it that much harder for, for moms to, to look like a, a success. So you'll have a, a, a group of, of mothers who aren't doing the job perfectly, 
But if they're not doing the job perfectly, they're not doing the job well. And you'll have a set of dads who are they're they're doing all right, but they seem like rock stars because of it. So, so yeah, I mean, if that's the the prevailing attitude out there uh, about it, then that's that has to change somewhat. Because if we set the bar too low for dads and too high for moms, well, what's where's the where's the motivation or where's the impetus? Like, well, how are things, how would the attitudes change? How would people change to, to make themselves better um, about all of it? So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not fair. Most of the things that go into this job don't have anything to do with whether you're mom or, or dad, frankly, it has to do with who you are as a person. Like what's your personality like? Are you patient? Are you, um, you know, there are all kinds of, of things that go into being a parent that I don't, I don't find to be particularly associated with momness or, or dadness. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Do you think, um, well, I, I don't know how much you want to speak for Julie, so that's fine if you don't want to answer this mm-hmm. particular question, but do you think that she, you know, when your first one was born, do you think that she struggled with that? Like I'm mom, what is that supposed to mean for me? Cause I think there is so much whether we know it or not, we bring a lot of our cultural garbage in, into a situation and we don't know it until we're there, right? So like one of those things is like, what does it mean to be a husband or a wife? Well, you bring, you don't know what that garbage is until you're actually in the situation. And then you're like, oh, I need to do this because I'm married or whatever. And then you're just like, no, I don't have to do that. You can have marriage however you want to. Same thing with being a parent. So did she struggle with that? Did you struggle with that too? Like, well, I'm a dad, but this is, like, how did that play out? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, especially in the very beginning, there, there's, you know, you can't escape the culture you're a part of. I mean, as, as progressive as you think you might be, or as, you know, as outside of the box as you may think you are as a thinker, you can never really, really escape it. So for sure, early on, I think we both had these kind of odd feelings, like, is this like, really like the, the way to do this or what? And and I would say there were times when Julie probably was like, I'm really, I really, I should be the one that's at home doing some of this stuff for them. Am I like, there's this idea that you are not a good mom just by the simple fact that you aren't changing as many diapers as you should. Like, I'm talking about little stuff where you're like, oh, I'm not doing as much, but fairly quickly that for us anyway, that kind of went away. And on more than one occasion, we would be having discussions about all this stuff. And, and she would say, I don't think I could do what you're doing. I don't know that I would, whatever. She would say some lovely thing about me that always made me feel better. Whether or not I was doing the right thing, it was different than whatever she maybe would ha- have done. And in her eyes, it's good that I was the one handling that particular situation. So yeah, it's, 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 it's worked for us in the end. So you just mentioned like the right thing. And that's what, you know, Kosha talked about that Ted talk. One of the things that is also very, and is part of the dynamic for why dads don't step up more is because moms tend to be the ones who are like, this is the right way to do this, mm-hmm. right? You're not changing the diaper in the right way. You're not, you know, all these like, and it's, 
kind of funny, but kind of insulting. These like memes where it's like, when dad dresses a baby and the baby's wearing whatever random combination of things. So I was like, is the baby dressed? Is the baby like, is everything fine? I think ultimately like, who cares if they're not married? And some like beautiful, perfectly quaffed, it's a baby, right? They don't care. And also when those kids start having opinions, there are times where I'm like, I didn't dress this child. <laughs> they dress themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, it's weather appropriate. I didn't dress her, she dressed her, right? Like it, there comes a point where nobody cares. Right. Did you, it sounds like maybe there was some, like you touched on that a little bit. Did you really get like, was there any conflict between the two of you around like, well, that's not how I would do it. I want you to do it how I would do it. Or was she just like, oh my God, thank God you're doing it. Yeah, that was more, that was more what it was like. Oh, I'm glad you're doing this and not me. Cause I don't know that, I don't know how good I would be at handling this particular situation. And like, man, I was king shit changing a diaper, by the way, let me just say, <laughs> but, but not too long into doing it. I, I mean, that, that's just practice. That's one of those weird things. Like I don't change diapers. Like that's, I don't change that. The reason you don't change diapers is because you don't do it. So you don't get very good at it. It's like anything else in life. A lot of things about being the stay at home parent is reps with doing mm -hmm. certain things that's or handling point. certain situations, or it's, it's not, it's like being at a job or, you know, practicing, uh, playing tennis or anything. It's just putting in the, the reps and uh, you put enough reps and like, oh man, I could change this diaper in 12 seconds. Can I change this diaper before he pees all over me this time? Like that, that'd <laughs> be a really huge accomplishment. Twice I changed a poopy diaper only by the light of the moon without waking her up. Oh, that's very impressive. I'm a ninja. Mm -hmm. I'm a diaper ninja. And then the other one was we were at, she was like almost two years old and um, we were somewhere at a baby shower or something. And I did like a drive-by diaper change as she was standing there and I just changed out nice. her diaper. And someone was like, did you just do a drive-by like diaper change? Like just was she standing? And I was, I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> like something you're super proud of things like that. Yeah. I I'll give you a great example of this whole, like of one of the things that could make mom feel bad even though it has nothing to do with anything except practice the rocking the kid to sleep thing reps i figured out this was mostly with the, the boy that i remember that anyway there's a certain position that he liked to be in a certain kind of movement and over time you know he kind of teaches you what that is so I think that's the kind of thing that could make a mom feel really bad because then let's say on a Saturday, mom's going to rock the boy to sleep and she's having trouble. He's not, it's, he's not, what's wrong. He doesn't, he's not falling asleep. He's not comforted by me. What's wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's just that I have a thousand hours of, of practice figuring, figuring it out. But that, that's one of those kind of weird things that could really make a mom be like, Oh, oh I can see bummer. that too, where it's like, I'm not comforting him. I'm uh, he doesn't feel comfortable with me. And suddenly you are snowballing to where you're like, I shouldn't even be a mom. I can't even put my own kid to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Where you're like, no, no, no. It's just that I have done this 1 million times and now it's muscle memory. Yep. And it was a weird position too, if I remember correctly, it was wacky, man. He liked to be kind of hanging off the side and, <laughs> and there was some weird, it was, it was odd, but you know, they, they teach you just like, 
everything else they teach you. Yeah, well, and it's, it's particularly challenging when it's your first one, right? The second one comes along and you're just like, well, they're all weird. They do whatever they want. It's yep. not about me, right? The second one, you're like, because the second one's like, they're already different from the first one, from the second they come out. Yep. So you're like, well, this is clearly not about me, my parenting, anything <laughs> that I'm doing. They're just them. But the first one, you just take everything so personally because you're like, why can't I do this? Yep. And I think the, the cultural norm that's extremely sexist, and I think it does, it so plays into like, why don't dads stay at home? It's this whole like, women are just natural nurturers. And so if you're not good at it from the get-go, there's something wrong with you. Yep. And I tended to forgive myself more on those hard days. That was going to be my next question actually is, so when something didn't happen quickly or you were frustrated with something or your boy, especially the boy, cause he's the older one, like was just not having it that day. You, did you have an easier time not taking that stuff personally? For sure. Whether it was conscious or unconscious, I don't really, I couldn't really tell you, but I do know that it's like, ah, it's not work. It's not working out today. And you know, you may have some of these creeping thoughts. Oh, it's it's, because it's because it's not mom. (laughs) He's not happy because mom's not here, which who knows? I mean, you know, again, there are some biological like connections that that kid didn't have with me, you know, no matter, no matter what. So, but yes, I was always, I think I was much more forgiving of myself on, you know, unfortunately, than I think maybe some moms are. It also makes so much sense because you're kind of forging your own path on this. It's there's no like cultural archetype of how dads are supposed to be the the default parent. Right. There's nothing like that. Yeah. And if we mess up like, ah, it's the sale. You're the stay at home dad. Of course you messed up. Like, you know, but you're already so far ahead because you're, you're such a hero already. Right. That like, is that like, if I mess up a little, the bar is set so low that if I mess up a little, I'm not, I'm not dipping under the bar. Nope. Whereas yeah. if a, if a woman messes up, like you're already under the bar because yeah. it's yes. so high. Yeah. And there is, I mean, Kosha and I've talked about this too. There is a lot of like basic cultural bullshit about like, you're supposed to bond with your baby right away. And it's supposed to be love at first sight. And, and there's none of that for jazz. <laughs> there's not this like, Nope. No standard at all. No. It's like, okay. Are you present? are you taking care of people? Like, are you, are you even present? Like that seems to be the bar at, at the first, right? right? Are you doing some of the work? Amazing. Whereas like, I remember with, with Isha, Isha's, Isha and I are like completely opposite personalities. We're, com- we're completely opposite and always has been. And I just remember thinking like, why is this so hard? This shouldn't be so hard. I'm also like the older sister to two children who are 10 years younger than me. I have taken care of infants. I know how this works. Yep. And it was so hard. And then I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. None of this matters, right? It's like, this is who Isha is and this is what Isha needs. And that's all that matters. Right. See, it's the same thing with marriage, right? You just so hard to drop the cultural norms that have crept in without you even knowing it. It's like the water that you swim in and you're just like, what is this? What is this about? It shouldn't be this way not supposed to be this way i think that is that's the hardest thing when you start shooting and supposed doing yourself and then you're just yeah. like that's not even a fit there's no such thing as that i think this is actually just dawning on me now i think there another advantage that i kind of had yeah i'm literally piecing through this right now and i never thought about it wow 
boy, you know, for someone who's supposed to be insightful, I just am not realizing that I missed a huge chunk of this. Well, no, but to be fair, you have probably never sat down and spent an hour and a half talking about your experience being a stay-at-home dad. That's true. And we hear this every single time because you're having a conversation, but this is not the true conversation is conversational. Yes. Right. So you haven't really done this analysis until now. No, for sure not. So I'm impressed that you're coming up with realizations after an hour and a half. Like that does bode well for you as a clinical psychologist. <laughs> yes, there you go. See, I'll, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. That's the good part. Yeah, yeah. But what what, I, what came to mind is that I had a, I had an example of this. I had someone, an intimate example of someone who was a quote unquote stay at home dad, which was my own father. So I, we didn't talk about this, but my parents divorced when I was young. Uh, I was seven. I never get the age quite right, but I, I was like seven. And they you talk about something that might have a psychological effect on you. What they did was they decided they were going to get divorced. Clearly not, not happy, uh, not a happy relationship, but they asked me where I wanted to live, like who I wanted to live with. As a seven-year-old. Who do you want? Yeah. And I had no, like a lot of times in divorce, there's frequently the, a parent who the kid is like, oh, I don't want to be with that person. I, I want to definitely, it wasn't that way with me. I actually, I, for, I, loved and liked and them both pretty much equally. If seven-year-old you is being asked, who do you want to live with? How, what criteria do you use to decide? Maybe it was very quick. I figured it out very quickly. Like what? I would have been like, who, where do I feel, feel safest? Right. Ultimately. Who's like, who's going to be more available to me? I don't want to move. That was basically my whole thing. Like I want to have my same friends. I want to go to my same school. And I if one's moving away, and one staying put as a seven-year-old, you're going to be like, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. So dad kicked up the house. And so I was like, well, I want to live with dad then. Are you an only child? I am. Okay. Yeah. So between the ages of seven and nine, I lived with dad and then I would go see mom. Like on the weekends, she just lived, you know, 10, 15 minutes away. He was a not a stay-at-home dad, but he was a sort of a single dad. So he was doing more more than, than he would have, I guess, otherwise. So he would, you know, like I just, and, and he had a factory job, so he's got to be at work at six, seven o'clock in the morning. So I, I mean, I have vivid memories of like him, like I'm asleep and he would take me to the car. I'm still asleep. Put me in the back cars all nice and warmed up. Like all these like little things take me to whoever was going to watch me for the morning until they took me to school. Sometimes it was my grandparents. Sometimes it was like some other family that was at school or whatever. And then come get me. And he's doing and this is all basic stuff, but he's making dinners. And so, so I'm seeing all of this and I'm seeing a man, a male, like my dad, he can, he does all, he can do all this stuff. Like, so I wonder he if was that a default parent, yes. he was the one that was like, got you at the end of the day and like helping you with homework yeah. and like doing your laundry and right. like all of that stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. So doing those things didn't, I guess in part, yeah. The willingness to just be like, yeah, I can do that may in part have come from having had that, that experience. I, I never <laughs> really thought about that till now. So that's why. I'm... That's, that's really cool. Right. To be like, 
even if someone works, they can still be like, even if a guy works, they can still be the default parent, the person who's like doing the primary caretaking workload. Um, but okay, so this is just a whole aside. You can cut this out. But when I met you, your parents were together. So they got back together? Well, that's the whole kind of, so that's, you know, I would, you know, there are lots of children of divorce. I don't think there are a whole lot of children of divorce in my situation, which was they were divorced for a couple of years. Then they got remarried from like, I was like nine till 20. <laughs> then they got divorced again. <laughs> so an odd, an odd situation, very different headspace being seven versus being a young adult. But, but yeah, it, was... it would have been really weird if when you were 20, they asked you who you wanted to stay with. Here's what I would like to ask you about. I have a question. What would you want your kids to pick up from your family situation? Like as they go off into the world, what would you want each of them to learn from, you know, the fact that your wife is the primary earner and you're the primary caregiver? Or maybe not learn, but like, what would you want them to absorb? Mostly that, and we've, we've touched on this already, but that no matter what your plan is, no matter what your plans are, be flexible, be ready for change. Just because your plan doesn't come to fruition doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a bad thing. I think what it will arm them with somewhat is that they're not going to have a, as many, we'll say as many notions about what it means to be a dad and a mom or, or a a man or a woman or anywhere in between or any, you know, kind of gender profile or anything. And, and I can see that already actually in them. They're, they're kind of whatever about a lot of those kinds of stereotypes and, and. Yeah. So that was going to be my question is um, have you had to have conversations with your kids about why is mom not doing X, Y, Z, or why are you doing it? And my friend's parents don't do it this way. Is there been any, any um, comparisons that way? No, not that I'm aware of anyway. I guess I, that should be clear. I mean, if, if anything has been talked about or discussed with their friends or anything weird like that, I've never, I've never heard about it. Some of their friends there are, are come from families where their parents are in a, you know, same sex relationship. So like there are moms like, and so what's, I think interesting is that like our big, like, Ooh, wow. You know, dad stays home. He's a stay at home. Like that's nothing compared to how one might have to, to navigate that. And it's unfortunate, but it's almost like the spotlight kind of moves away from the uniqueness of our family, which seems very not particularly unique when you think about some of the, the other uh, families and I'm sure some of the crap they have to deal with. So, yeah, I've not, not had anything like that but what's also really fascinating about same-sex families is that because there's no idea of who does what traditionally they it's all very it's much more equitable and it's all very fluid in terms of who does what right because there's no like mom or dad it's either dads both dads or both moms or one single parent or whatever it is right. it's like there's no this is what this person does and this is what this person does it's like oh, we got to figure out, there's two of us and we got to figure out this set of chores. And so we better figure out how to do it without going bonkers. You know, we watch, we watch from afar at 
at families who have two working parents and we just go, man, I'm really glad we don't have to do that. Nor are we unhappy that we're not doing it <laughs> it's because it is hard. Like I, I have a lot of, of respect and it just, I, I don't know how it's, it just seems crazy to me how it's, how people get by doing it. It's interesting because it is hard. You know, both Brian and I work. He is, he works from home now. He didn't for a long time. Um, and I have a lot of, I tend to have some flexibility with my job, but it's, so I have this friend who is, you know, thinking about going back to work and it like all of this nuance about deciding whether she should take this job and, oh my God, I'm giving up all of this as a stay at home and, you know, these perks and all of that. I'm like, at least you can see, you know, just reminding her that like, I don't have that choice, which I'm not saying like, so bow down to me or respect that, or, you know, I'm just saying like, the nuance only starts when you have that choice. Like for me, I I've never thought about what it would be like to be at home, a stay at home mom. Am I made, I'm, I don't think I'm made for it, but like, am I made for it? Or would Brian be better or this and that, the other thing? Cause we've never had that option you know, so it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, how you say, just circling back to the beginning, how you're like, well, it just, it made sense because I, I tend to be that more, you know, the, the engine and, and the, the conductor, the one who can kind of drive things forward. And I'm like, hmm, I've never had to have that conversation with Brian. Well, it also reminds me of what Ju Ju what you said, Julia said, which is like, well, I don't think I'd be able to do that. And the thing is you do what you have to do. Right. If the situation were reversed or you both needed to work, you would figure it out. I mean, there's that's the only you figure it out. That's all there is to it. And, and looking back now and kind of where I where I am now. I can't even conceive of not being as involved in their lives as, as I am. Hey, it's a foreign concept to even be like, like, so I would only see them like for a few hours after I got home from work out. Like I would know so much less about them and have had so many fewer interactions with them. And again, and you're saying it's not bad. It's, it's just different. And as I said, I, I can't even conceive of what my relationship with the two of them would be like in another life. The thing is that as a society, we have never asked dads to figure it out. Yes, that's We've never asked dads precisely the point. To actually value their families in the same way that they value their jobs. Yep, that's about as succinctly as you can as you could put it. Yes, agree. And what you know, the problem that happens is it's the same thing with the Me Too movement or anything, which is women go blah 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 blah. They yell 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 yell, and people go, "That's a that's a woman's issue. We don't need to care about this." But until men all people start making the same noise about things like family leave, you know, flexible work policies, all this stuff. It's just going to end up being a, a woman's issue. Even little things like, and Ashton Kutcher came up with this, the little things like um, diaper changing tables in the men's bathrooms at restaurants and stuff. They don't have them. Or now what they're- did you just say? Who came up with this? Ashton Did you Kutcher. say Ashton Kutcher? He was talking okay. about it on a national oh, okay. level a few years ago. He didn't come up with the idea, <laughs> but he was making it a big deal. Wow. Okay. Several years ago. Great. Yeah. 
He did. He was like, make sure I heard you right. Yeah, no, you did. You did. Okay. He, he talked about it a lot several years ago when I, I don't know when, but he was like, went on this national thing about like, we need to have change tables in men's bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Because like what, like, and then there were, there were videos and pictures of men, you know, going into like, and changing their kids on the floors of bathrooms and, or do I go into the women's bathroom? Like there's a whole, you know, that's where I can change my kid. So those little things that are like, not only, you know, kind of what you said earlier is we're, we're kind of demanding men be more engaged and invested in, in being a parent, but what are we doing to actually invest in that prospect. Well, I will agree. There is no cleaner changing table on the planet than the changing table in a men's bathroom. <laughs> it gets used like once every three weeks. Yeah. Sometimes it looks like it's never been used and maybe it never was. It's it like uh, still has a zip tie on it. You're like, mm-hmm. I can't undo it like, because wow, this is shiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we will ask our penultimate question. All right. And you've already referred to this a little bit, so you can say that again, but also thinking more broadly about your experience as a stay-at-home parent. What advice would you give to either your younger self or to someone else who's sort of just on the precipice of being like, I don't know if I can handle this or this is the situation I'm dealing with, but um, I'm not I'm not comfortable with it or I'm scared or you know any sort of thing where they're like, people are hesitant to be thinking about this or, or to their, you know, to the mom, the female partner, that's like, I think this makes sense, but I'm nervous about having my husband be the stay at home partner. Right. Um, what, what I would say is you'll constantly have to remind yourself that there's no right way to parent. Like there's no, I mean, you get that stupid book, like what to expect when you're expect or whatever the, uh, and then there's all these, you know, all this kind of stuff, which is nice. It helps you at least anchor everything, but there's no right, really no right way to do it, which means there's no right person to do it. And so be for, be forgiving, like forgive yourself for not doing things perfectly. And just embrace, you have to embrace it all as an, as an opportunity to maybe exercise a muscle that maybe you would never thought you were going to use or to push your kind of your comfort zone in terms of your emotional involvement, like for, for, like for stay at home dads, like, yeah, push yourself a little bit and see just how much you have to offer to this, this situation. And for, for the moms, like it may, it, it may feel strange, but again, there's no right way to do it. I mean, all you got to do is wander around your kid's school and you're going to see all kinds of ways that people parent and you look at, and you're like, what, like, does that work for them? Like, <laughs> how's this kid going to turn out? Well, a kid's probably going to turn out fine. It may not be the way you would have handled the situation, but you know, so, so yes, forgive yourself and just treat it, treat it as an opportunity opportunity and be ready, be ready to change your mind about it as you go along. Again, the whole idea of having a plan. Good luck. Good luck with that because <laughs> it will very quickly change as you move along. Right, 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 right. That's awesome. Again, I say this almost every time, but I go, that's good advice for us all. 
Every single time. Not almost every time. Every single time. No. Okay. I say it every single time. Sometimes I cut it out because I'm like, I just said it <laughs> okay. the last three times. Okay. Well, yeah. That's- so I say it every single time, but um, not everyone hears it every single time. No, that's awesome. And I think, you know, that goes back to just um, even just the decision making of like, is this, you know, is, but this is weird and this and that. Like, well, if there's no right or wrong way to do something, then it's not weird because there's, it's only weird if it's not normal, right? And there's no normal way of doing something. So, okay. Last question is uh, about Familet, which I, we talk about every time. And there will be a time on this podcast where I don't have to give the definition because so many people will be listening to it that it'll be just a universal conversation. But Familet, essentially it is dialects within a family, right? Um, it is the language varieties that we use within families are small social, small, intimate groups. Um, can you talk a little bit about your familect, either with your parents or, like I said, I know your 2F crew. When Greg was on here, they went off on something and I was like- We talked about the crow and Mad Dog and- <laughs> I was like, all of And like how you don't even, we just mentioned it, right? We didn't even explain it because it almost defies explanation. But it's just like, you just have to say that. And then there's like a whole flurry of things. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, we need to stop because I have got to cut all of this out. Like we're not talking about any of it. <laughs> so anyway, so I know like your 2F crew has a lot. Um, You could bring that up or anything with your family, your yoga, you know, daddy and me <laughs> yoga crew, whatever it is. Um, Yeah. What are some of the things that, that everyone else would be like, what the hell are you talking about? uh yeah I, I thought about this on and off it's so hard and you, you even said like people say this all the time they're like i don't know what what you know interesting odd unique about about our family well the thing is it's 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 so much about like because it's just language to you like it's just how you talk it's just how you are so when someone's like what's something weird your family does you're like i don't think we do because this is just how we talk yeah i think the thing that I don't know if this even fits quite for what you're talking about, but our, one of the, <laughs> one of the things we do a lot here, I don't, well, so first I should say the kids have learned over time that, that, um, points are scored by making daddy laugh. Like <laughs> if you can make me laugh, like you got me, uh, you know, I, I'm very like just, forgiving and once you know if you can gen- genuinely make me laugh which is difficult it's getting easier as they get older as i'm sure you guys will find like oh then they get older they actually get kind of clever and they come up with some good stuff so the thing that has been happening lately is especially as we co- get close to the holidays is you know there's practically incessantly christmas songs being being played around the house and one of the things that we <laughs> we like to do is come up with fake lyrics to these Christmas songs. And they're always like wildly inappropriate. They're almost always toilet humor based. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And so we'll just kind of build off of each other going back and forth on like coming up with lines for the the songs. Uh, And, uh, you know, yeah, just wildly inappropriate, but very funny. Um, And the only thing that's kind of unique that I think someone would be like, what's going on with you? Like, what, what is that all about? <laughs> when one of us is telling a, 
like a story about something that happened during the day. Kids will come home and, uh, you know, the girl will tell a story about something that happened at, in, at lunch, which isn't very interesting. Like, if we'll be, be perfectly honest, it's just kind of like a, what are you doing? Our kind of go-to line when we f- figure out that someone's telling a story that's not very good is we'll just, we'll just say, mm, that's not a very good story. And it's not even really an insult. It sounds horrible, right? Like you're just dismissing that out of hand, but it's, it's uproarious when someone pulls it out, like, oh, that's not a, like, you feel bad. Like you feel sorry for them say, oh, that's not a very yeah. good story. Like, not, I'm not insulting you. <laughs> I feel so sad that you have no good stories to tell. Yeah. No, that is Familex because if someone came in and you go, oh, and you'd be like, that's so rude. She was just telling you what happened at school. You're a bad dad, but the fact that it's not taken as an insult no. and it's just like part of your vernacular. Sometimes they will totally stop. Works. That's awesome. Sometimes they will stop in the middle of a story and go, oh, this isn't a very good story. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. the new twist on the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Oh, this isn't very good. When you're, self, when you're self-aware about how sad your story really is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because beautiful. we've all been there too. We've all been halfway through a story. And then you go like, why am I still telling the story? It's so not interesting. Yep. <laughs> I actually wish I had someone in a very cute, sweet way to be like, it's okay to stop talking now. You know? And sometimes we try to salvage the situation. Like sometimes we'll get to, oh, that's not a very good story. And then- someone will then will make up a story that's totally not like even real. Like, uh, like, um, say like, Oh, I guess what I heard. Uh, I heard that all the neighborhood squirrels are congregating at Paisley <laughs> park and they're going to steal all of Prince's old recordings from the vault. And then the girl will be like, really? How many? Like hundreds for now. You know, just, and you kind of build on it. It reminds me, there's a, there's a Frasier episode where he's talking about a dream and it's like a boring dream. And he's like, and then I open the door and there's a man. And then John or uh, Martin Crane is like, he looks at him and then he goes, eating lion, like a man <laughs> eating lion. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Yep. It's like, suddenly you go, oh, that's not a very good story. And you're like, but then. Yeah. <laughs> So you're awesome. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for for taking the time and um, being so thoughtful and and open with your with your stories and your your answers. This was great. You know, I would say the one thing that surprised me, the one thing that surprised me, and maybe it's just because you know we've known each other for so long, is that you describe yourself as an introvert, because within our little group of friends, you are not an introvert. So I've always known you as yes. being much more extroverted. Yeah. Well. S- s- Yes. Actually, I would agree with you 100%. But those are the times that you like, that's the only time where I seem to be the ring, a kind of a ring leader or someone is with this fairly small group of people that I actually give a shit about. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm kind of like, okay, like, small talk like I'm, I'm bad with small talk you're probably an introvert like i am where i'm like if i'm with my people oh my i can be out there mm-hmm. dancing talking and then i need to go home and sleep for two days and always except for a very small group of people like shailashi or you know my best friend john or something if someone cancels on me i'm like yes like it 
it's a very this. small group of people <laughs> that I'm disappointed if they cancel. I'm always, this last two years has been so exhausting for me because I'm like, I need to hang out with people. And I'm like, I'm tired of the people that live in this house. They suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other, that's the other end of things. It's- yeah, it is for sure. All right. You have three minutes before your kids get home. Really? Oh my God. You have three minutes. This is like right. a lifetime of fun. All right. They're old enough. They'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. This is great. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Yay, thank you. Excellent. Take care. Right. Thank bye you. Bye.